Live from London, this is the Saturday Lunch with Joseph Hammond. Good afternoon, my name is Joseph Hammond, I'm a primary school music and computing specialist and welcome to my show. Today, got a very special guest in the form of Jimmy Rotherham. Um, I'll be talking about plastic in schools and what we can do to reduce the use of single-use plastic and of course there will be some more songs later in the show. Live from London, this is the Saturday Lunch with Joseph Hammond on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to do today um, is we're going to have our guest slot. So um, I can see that Jimmy's listening. So Jimmy, when you're ready, you can um, call in and we'll um, and we'll get going with um, with your uh, your question and answer session with your interview. Um, and then later on, I'll be talking about, um, as I said, the use of plastic in schools and what we can do to avoid single-use plastic. And I'll be talking about, um, I'll be talking about, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be playing some songs, of course. Um, so, Jimmy, what you need to do is you need to find the section that says call in. And then I can I can invite you to co-host with me. Um, so there should be there should be a section. I don't know if you can find it, but there should be a section that says that says call in and then you should be able to um aha there we go gotcha okay so sent you the invite and it says you're connected all right hello hi there we go i can hear (laughs) fantastic all right well jimmy um thank you very very much for uh coming on my show i'm really excited to have you on Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, um, Jimmy, I wanted to start with um, I wanted to start with kind of just a bit about your background. So, um, so what was what was your music education like as a child, and how did you get started as a music teacher? Uh, oh, that's a long story, but uh, yeah. Uh... So I was really lucky in my house. We had, uh, we just happened to have a piano. So as soon as I could reach that piano, uh, I was starting to play little things. And then I started picking out tunes by ear. And my parents thought, oh, let's, let's try and get him some piano lessons. Um, I wasn't from a particularly wealthy family. We, I think we could afford lessons here and there, but my mum couldn't afford the bus as well. So my mum would walk me miles and miles and miles every week in whatever weather conditions um, to go to the piano lessons that they were kind of scraping and saving for. Um, 
So that wow. was incredibly lucky, wasn't it? In- incredibly lucky. Um, That's commitment. That's major commitment, right? It there. is. Yeah, it is. Um, and some, unfortunately, we're in a position in music education where some children have that and some children don't. Um, mm. And it's one of the reasons I'm really passionate about all schools giving a really, really good music offer um, because then we're not leaving its chance. Um, but anyway, I got on my uh, hobby horse a little bit then. I was trying to tell you uh, yeah. about my background. Um, so then uh, I was kind of a musician then. So I was um, I had I had lessons piecemeal. I went through. I think I did my grade one and my grade four, and then my sorry grade five, and then my grade eight. I didn't do. I didn't kind of go through the exam treadmill. Um, yeah. And I always really struggled to read music uh, as a child. Um, and my music teacher told me, oh, you're musically dyslexic. You can't read music, basically. Don't don't worry about <laughs> it too much. Use your ear instead. Uh, so I did yeah. use my ear, and my ear got really good. And it got good enough to kind of earn me a, a bit of a niche living as a professional musician. Not very good, good living, but um, I kind of got a reputation as someone who could use my oral skills i could uh, a band could give me a cd with 20 songs on it and say can you play these songs live in a a gig tomorrow because our keyboard player can't play them i'm like okay fine um and i get a lot of that sort of work with bands um uh and i kind of did did teaching on the side to be honest it wasn't really a passion of mine um but i kind of I really wanted to get into music therapy. Um, yeah. I was always really fascinated by that. Uh, so I started working in a SEN department in a secondary school uh, to get a bit of a taste <laughs> for it. Um, and like a lot of people do, I just ended up being in schools for a decade. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I enjoyed it. I was I, I taught. I ended up teaching A level in a sixth form college. Um, and then the that was really nice. I was teaching music for a couple of years, uh, getting good results for the kids, really enjoying it. Um, and then the the big cuts came in about 2012, 2013, and suddenly my job got very hard. I, I had uh, I was teaching about five BTEC courses on top of the music A level. My hours were cut, um, mm. and I was just doing seventy hour weeks and getting paid for a few days. Um, that's and I think nasty. That's, that's something that music teachers can fall into a little bit sometimes if they're not careful, you know, because you're given, we're not always given full-time hours, but we're essentially given a full-time job when you're bringing all the paperwork and everything. So, yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, they offered voluntary, voluntary redundancies. I absolutely bit their hand off um, <laughs> very much um, and decided I wasn't going to teach again because of the stress. Um, hmm. And went back to trying to be a musician. Um, if it had been the weekend all the time, that would have been brilliant. Um, I'd have earned a good living, but unfortunately it wasn't. Um, and I started supply teaching again, but just by chance ended up covering a few music lessons in primary schools. And I absolutely loved it and I absolutely fell in love with it again and, and fell in love with um, researching and learning more about it. Um, started to... Um, get really interested and excited by how music can be used to 
boost literacy and boost self-esteem and all, all these amazing benefits that a music education has for young children. Um, but I also quickly discovered that actually everyone's really musical. Um, all children, if they're given those opportunities early on, like I had, they will be musical. They will be singing in tune. They'll be singing in two-part harmony. They'll be able to apply what they learn to instruments. Um, and that's what we provide at my school. And I was very lucky to land at my school. I landed there on supply. Um, mm. And it was like a lot of music offers. It was, they did fished out a few musically talented children um, and gave them lessons uh, while the rest kind of got on with their English and maths. And there was a new head teacher at the school and he wanted that to change. The, the results in the school were, um, terrible we we're in special measures we we're under a lot of pressure um it's it's in a very um challenging community with a lot of kind of social challenges like overcrowded housing poverty uh crime things like that um yeah. and i remember when i got there it said welcome to the Bronx." so someone Ooh. had tried to write welcome to the bronx but obviously didn't didn't spell it properly um mm. But now, nowadays, that says "Welcome to the Bronx." So I think that shows the impact we've had on on literature, on literacy in in the local community. Um, mm. But it it, um, it as I say, it was in special measures, doing very badly. And and that what the school was doing was um, getting more and more maths and English consultants doing more and more booster clubs at lunchtime and after school for English and maths. And the more of this they did, the worse the results seemed to get. Um, yeah. And I think the head teacher realised we're giving these children such a narrow, such a dry, unengaging education. Of, of course, they're not going to be engaging with it. Um, and <clears throat> what he, <clears throat> excuse me, what he provided me what, with was the opportunity to just do what I wanted in terms of developing a primary music department. Um, he just said yes to everything I asked for. And, and my one afternoon a week with the talented kids became uh, two days a week teaching across the whole school. And then I said, well, this isn't enough really, because if I'm only seeing the children once a week and the music's forgotten about, it's it's not really going to work as well as it could do. Um, so then it became uh, training the staff to do follow-up sessions uh, when I wasn't there. Um, putting things in the school policy to uh, protect things like daily singing. Um, we started having music assemblies with guest musicians and for a budget of just £30, we could get in musicians from Opera North or Leeds Music College or um, uh, touring. We had a touring Swedish a cappella band come and, come and sing for us. We had a touring... Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, we had a touring uh, Appalachian folk band band uh, and just these amazing experiences for children for a £30 a week budget. And there's so many schools yeah. that could, could be doing that. Um, uh, but it's, I suppose I have advantages in that I know where to find musicians and, I, and, and I'm given the time at school to be able to do it. Um, but yeah, it's been, and, and it, it starts to have an incredible effect on our results. Um, we started to get really you know, top class musicians coming through. We had the first Muslim children to um, get into the music services gifted and talented school. Uh, nice. We, yeah, and and we had a, a a school that was sort of non-musical, not 
you know, trying to bash out songs with really kind of bad pitching and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, within, a few, within a few months of just really focusing on it, we had um, children singing beautifully, we had uh, children learning, and we had a really um, well-thought-out curriculum that takes children on this nine-year journey from when they join us as two-year-olds uh, to when they leave us as an 11-year-old, as 11-year-olds, and, and to be thinking long-term and strategically about how we can give these children the best opportunities, the best um, development, the best of everything, really. Um, you know, um, you see this sort of dedication to music education in a lot of private private schools, and it's um, there's, there's a lot of barriers to schools doing this, but um, they're not insurmountable. You know, it's it does take thinking a little differently, but... Um, you know, we had to do a lot of things very differently. We didn't. We, we chose not to have lots of assistant head teachers um, and kind of senior leaders, um, and invest more in, in in your kind of middle leaders, your subject specialists. Um, mm. So that gave us some some money to be able to do that. We we worked out a system where we didn't need supply teachers as cover, so that saved us a lot of money, which we could then f- put back into the arts um, and. You know, children have up to six hours a week of music um, open to them um, every week. Um, That's and insane. It is, but you know, we don't have more money than the schools who say yeah. that they, we've got the same budget as schools that say we can't afford to do music. Um, hmm. And so, you I just said it's, just just go so, to go back on that. You um, you wouldn't have been able to do the things that you've achieved without the support of your head teacher because he was uh, hugely on board with it, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, that's absolutely true. And it's also one of the big problems with music education in primary schools because if your head teacher values it, uh, he'll they'll invest in it and they will... Um, do everything they can to support it um Mm. if your teacher doesn't value it it's seen as something that gets in the way of you know real learning of of your learning of maths Mm. and english and i've I've worked in enough schools on supply to know that some schools are like that they're very very wary of of music i once went in on a supply job uh carrying a piano because i thought (laughs) well might be nice to do some singing with this class that i've got it was a year five class um um, when I got there, they just presented. They, they, they were immediately suspicious of the piano. They said, well, "Why have you brought that?" And I thought, "Well, I might do a song with them." No, you're not going to have time to do a song with them. We've got lots of work for you. Um, and they gave me this huge pile of Sats papers to do all oh, morning God. with the children. Um, oh, so we kind of slogged through that, and I promised them we'd do something more exciting in the afternoon if they kind of slogged through the morning. So we slogged through the morning, uh, got through all the Sats papers. And then they came to find me at lunchtime and said, we've got more Sats papers for you this afternoon. Oh, right. for God's sake. <laughs> so then we started, we started going through the Sats papers and I said, look, let's, let's finish these so that we can have some fun. It was the same kind of motivational strategy I've been using all morning. We finished them with about 10 minutes left. We finished all the extra ones they gave us as follow-up work. Um, we had about 10 minutes left of the day. We sang a song, had a good time. Everyone went home happy. Um, I got a call from the supply agency saying that the school were absolutely furious with me for, and I quote, wasting learning time. 
um, <sighs> and they told me not to do music with the children, and I did it anyway, and they didn't want me to come back the next day. <laughs> so, wow. Um, yeah, I think you've got the two real extremes there. Um, and so there's a systemic issue, isn't there? Um, mm. It shouldn't be at the whim of a head teacher and their personal preferences as to whether their children get a broad and balanced and wholesome education, really, should it? It's not broad and balanced if you don't have any arts or music or if, it, if you think it gets in the way, that is not a broad and balanced curriculum. As simple as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the tide is turning. Um, I remember I did a talk a few years um, and um, the creative arts lead for Ofsted was talking after me. Um, oh. So I thought, this is brilliant. I'm going to like let her know <laughs> what it's like. Um, so I just, it was a conference, there's about 300 music teachers. I said, um, put put your hands up if your school's had an Ofsted inspection in the last three years and, you know, three quarters of the room, something like that, put the hand up. I said, put your hand up if they actually came to see music and there's like four or five hands up. And I said, yeah. that, just, that just says everything, you know. No for a surprise long time, there. <laughs> for a long time, Ofsted were ignoring music uh, in schools completely, just really narrow focus. So what are schools going to do? They're going to have a narrow focus because that's what Ofsted are looking for. Um, and mm. Ofsted have actually said, you know, we they've taken some responsibility for that, uh, that they were part of the problem. Um, and so in the last few years, we've seen a real focus on the broad and balanced curriculum. And, you know, we've got the subject deep dives now. So that has spurred a lot of schools into thinking, well, they might come and deep dive us as a weakness. Uh, they might identify music as a weakness in our school. They might come and deep dive the subject. We need to get it sorted out. And we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Um, what we're perhaps mm. not seeing is how Ofsted are inspecting things. Um, I think because of the pandemic, we've not seen a lot of um, the ways in which the the new inspection framework is actually impacting inspections and judgment. So I think, As, especially with some schools, just you know, not singing at all, but out of fear of uh, spreading the virus. There's those sort of things as well. Yeah, um, I mean. I think it's it's been interesting with the pandemic in in terms of how schools have prioritised things when they come back and how the priorities might have changed. And I think, yeah. again, you've seen some schools who think, we need to catch up maths and English, we need to do that, that's our most important thing. The children are really behind, let's, let's do lots of that, let's not worry about the wider curriculum. And then other schools are, who are saying, well, you know, these, these children have had no social interaction for... 18 months they've had yeah exactly you no know, development of the confidence of the of the <coughs> happiness you know of the interactions with each other um and some schools have really placed well-being as a priority and and recognize that the arts are a way of providing that for your children um as well so it's been been very interesting yeah um so yeah that i I, I wanted to next thing I wanted to uh, to talk to you about is um, sort of your approach <laughs> to music teaching. So you describe yourself as trog, so halfway in between <laughs> traditional and progressive, yeah. and you very much base a lot of what you do on Kadai. So for those listeners. Um, that are not familiar with Kadai, how would you describe it to them? 
it's learning music through, in a nutshell, it's learning music through singing and play. Um, so the children, uh, are, uh, you may have seen the sort of singing, clapping games, the, the sort of children's playground games. It's it, mm. it's based on, on that sort of thing, but we will use um, the playground games to do things like um, show relative pitches between notes. We will use it to differentiate between semi-quavers and quavers and uh, all sorts of really clever things. Um, and what's the other thing that's brilliant about the Kadai approach is that it is the, the sequencing of learning. So it's, it starts with two notes, so and me, and then you really embed them in children so that they know that so, it, so is the high note and me is the low note. And they do lots of songs like seesaw up and down in the air and on the ground. And that becomes so me, so, so me after a while. Very deeply embedded because it's in all the games and songs that they're playing. Um, and the great thing about doing doing it through play is it reverses that, that usual dynamic of the music teacher thinking, that's not sounding good enough. Can you try that again, please, kids? And all the kids are like, oh, I've just done it 12 times. Um, it reverses that completely so that you're thinking, right, maybe it's time we moved on. And the kids are like, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Um, and that in itself is is something quite remarkable uh, in the classroom. Um, so yeah, it's, mm. it, it it then develops um, from so and me to adding the la. So you got so la so me so so la la so me, and then the next year you might add me re and do. So then you've got your full pentatonic scale. Um, in the same way, rhythms are developed. So first thing they do is uh, get a strong sense of pulse. Once the class has got a strong sense of communal pulse, you'll move on to differentiating between pulse and rhythm. And then you'll move on to tar and tt rhythms. Uh, we call them tar and tt rather than crotchets and quavers because it's much yeah. more child friendly. It's much more I've logical. done that with I've done that with my year ones and reception a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's much. It makes much more sense to them, and, and yeah. a lot of the approach is very learning friendly, like that. Um, and rhythm syllables are a very powerful way of of learning and decoding rhythms. Um, and it works on very good pedagogy. So we have sound before symbol. Um, you're not just seeing abstract symbols that don't mean anything to you. Um, each symbol you see has been carefully prepared over weeks um, so that when you see it, you associate a sound to it. You uh, understand it in relevance to what you've already learned about uh, the previous pitches. You then, only then are you presented with it when you can kind of sing it successfully and it's already unconsciously embedded. Um, and that really helps with children's confidence because you're not plonking a score in front of them that doesn't make any sense to them. You're actually yeah. developing their reading in the same way that we would use phonics um, to develop literacy um, mm. with, the, with words. Um, yeah. And it's very kind of progressive and nicely sequenced and it, and it does work for every child. Um, uh, and it's you see the results in the classroom. Um, it gives you a really good pedagogical framework for developing musicianship, um, and it's brilliant. Um, but I think, like anything else, once you've been doing it for a while, you start to see um, some different ways of doing things, which might work uh, alongside it as well. Um, so the Dal Crow's approach was a godsend for me. The more I learnt about. Del Crows. Del Crows 
um, takes a movement-based approach to learning music. Um, so that's uh, musicians know it's, that's very powerful for learning rhythms. You know, rhythms. Yeah. Uh, movement is at the heart of, of rhythm, um, mm. but it's also very good for um, expression and improv- spontaneous improvisation and and these sort of spontaneous creative side which can sometimes be lacking from a very structured um, stepwise approach Um, so I do a lot of that but I also do because I have the time to do it I'm very lucky so I don't just have half hour with my class a week where I have to cram as much learning in as I can I can do a a lesson which might be very focused on on theory and be very teacher-led but we also have opportunities for children to you know, playing bands and just experiment and learn in in a more kind of uh, child-led um, sort of way, which is great yeah. for independence um, and and great for lots of things too. Um, so yeah, when I dis- when I say I'm I'm neither a traditionalist or a progressive, I think some some progressive teachers have said your you know your curriculum is very rigid and etc. And I've said, well, actually, look at what we're doing. I don't mm. think it is. Have a look at this, and they go, "Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough." Um, likewise, I think some more traditionalist teachers would possibly be horrified when they come in and we're just running around the room pretending to be rabbits. Um, mm-hmm. But when they understand why we're running around the room pretending to be rabbits, and we're actually doing things like preparing uh, an, uh, a feel, the feel of compound time, or uh, you know. Preparing a new rhythmic element, or we're reinforcing something that we learned the previous week through the movement we're doing of the rabbit. Um, then they're actually the penny drops, and they're like, "Oh, brilliant! Yeah." Um, and I think it's quite interesting because we've had praise from uh, Sir Ken Robinson, um, who says he wants all schools to be, you know, arts-rich schools like Feversham. Nice. And we've also had had praise from Nick Gibb, who thinks the way we do things is the way he wants people to do things as well, which uh, is very interesting, isn't it? Because they're kind yeah. of you know, polar opposites on the um, traditional and progressive spectrum. And, yeah, and, and I'm those... surprised that that come, came from Nick Gibb as well, because, you know, I I can't stand Nick Gibb and some of the things that he said um like oh pupils need to take extra exams in order to practice and uh and uh combat exam stress and yet here he is saying that he loves what you guys are doing yeah, that yeah. seems a bit hypocritical if you ask me but i'm really glad he supports what you do at the same time yeah i mean <clears throat> i found i found nick gibb something of an enigma an, an enigma really because um on the one hand, he was championing the EBAC, um, and you don't have to dig very deep to find out what a devastating effect that's having on the arts in secondary schools. Um, and yet, at the same time, he's saying music is really important for every single child, and um, you know we want every single child to be able to read music when they leave primary school. Um, and the Kadai the Kadai approach is a great way of achieving that for as many children as possible um so yeah i think i think pe- people see what they want to see in in your approach i think they kind of but also i think it is i think the vast majority of us 
uh, we'll be very traditionalist at times, we'll be very teacher-led at times, we'll be very, um, you know, we'll have the kids sitting in rows at times, and then at other times we'll have the kids running around freely, we'll have them sitting in circles, we'll have um, child-led stuff. You know, I think, yeah. I think the vast majority of teachers um, teach like that and, and get mm. the best that they can from both worlds. <laughs> and that's why I find the tribalism quite saddening, because um, I think we have... I think we can all learn stuff from Tom Bennett and from Ken Robinson and from, from all these people, you know, we might not mm. agree with everything that they say or do, but I think there's so much we can learn from, from all of them. So I'm quite open-minded about, um, you know, who I follow <coughs> and learn from. Um, yeah. And I think we just have so much to learn from each other and, yeah, so the, the tribalism does make me a little sad. Um, but... It is it is interesting you mentioned Tom Bennett because my other specialism is computing. And one of the things that I love doing is um, using video games like Minecraft. Now, Tom Bennett was extremely against that. And I remember having a bit of an argument with him on Twitter, me and other people who use Minecraft in school, about the value of it and... Um, yeah, he's he's an interesting one. Yeah, talking about Minecraft, uh, some children at my school did some incredible work. They were, the brief was to design an Anderson shelter because they've been learning about the Anderson shelters in nice. in, in the war. Um, and he did it all on Minecraft and and filmed it, put some music to it, and it was just amazing. What an incredible awesome. piece of work! And yeah, I think it's it's a shame if we're um, stopping children yeah. from from doing that sort of work because they need to don't they i mean it's yeah like it or not we're we're deep into the digital age where you know people earn living doing those sort of things don't they yeah they do um and to kind of <laughs> shut that off from children is um Again, I think it's about being being open minded to different ways of learning, and that's that is one that's that's one way of learning about things and presenting your work and yeah. interacting with others and and all the rest of it. So, yeah, and I think um, I think music is actually a really good example where so perhaps some so called traditional methods can feel a bit outdated. However, um, in music, Kadai Dalcroze they're based on years on off as well they're based on years of research and practice and we know that those methods work and that uh, my school is very progressive however i'm kind of similar in the way that in some of the ways that i teach things will be fairly will be fairly traditional ways um just because we know from research and fact that these things work yeah um, so before we finish, Jimmy, um, just I uh, wanted to, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, of being nominated for the Global Teacher Prize? Uh, yeah, that was all a bit surreal, really. It's, um, but my life was already surreal before that. I mean, we'd, um, <laughs> I told you about the, the, the impact that putting arts at the centre of what we do had on our... Oh, I didn't tell you, actually. I didn't, I didn't finish the story because um, 
when we became an arts rich school, our results went through the roof to such a degree that we were in the top 1% of schools in the country for pupil progress. Nice. Um, we were getting mm -hmm. better SATS results than the private schools around us. We had the best SATS results in Bradford. Um, nice. And 98% you know, of children in our school don't speak English as a first language at home. Um, so those sort of achievements were getting ended up getting us a lot of publicity um yeah. and it happened very quickly we got featured in the guardian that that got millions of shares across the world a lot of people mm -hmm. find it very inspirational uh then we had follow-up things from the one show which went out to millions uh bbc world service um th there's all sorts of things online like um there's a south korean news item about feversham um wow. which is very entertaining as well um but yeah started to then get um visitors from all over the world so from the cook islands uh and all the way up to canada um mostly english-speaking countries but virtually every english-speaking country around the world was uh wanting to know more was sending visitors to, to shadow me mm -hmm. uh, it became Quite, it was quite stressful at first, you know, having a visitor, an important visitor with you all the time, watching you yeah. work. It. But then after a while, you just kind of get used to it. Um, yeah. But I was learning so much from these visitors as well, and I was being asked to talk at so many conferences, but also you get to be a punter at those conferences as well. So it's mm -hmm. amazing for my own CPD and my own development. Um and it was, yeah, just just very very surreal. You know, I'd be I got invited to the Brits, um, mm -hmm. to the top VIP table at the Brits, and I was trying to find my seat. And the bouncers looking at me, going, "You're not, you won't be on that table. That's for like big celebrities <laughs> on that table." And then eventually we found out I was on that table. It wasn't a mistake. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, D Dubai was a bit like that. So we got we got flown over to the. Um, Global Teacher Prize ceremony. We, uh, it, it was in the hotel, one of these hotels with helicopter pads and private jet pads, <laughs> and it was, you know, and and just constantly, you know, you, you had people going around with service trays, giving you the nicest food you've ever had on tap <laughs> all the time. Um, wow. You know, got to live like a millionaire in Dubai for a weekend. Um, <laughs> that was that was really very, <laughs> very surreal. Um, I bet that was, was quite overwhelming. <laughs> it was quite overwhelming, and and it's it's really nice to have your work recognised. <laughs> um, but I was also very determined that we wouldn't just be tomorrow's fish and chip paper, and that we could hopefully use our story to inspire more schools to get more music for more children because yeah i think that's what really <laughs> drives me more than anything when i see what we're doing at feversham and then see what most children in state schools are getting mm. if I, I get quite upset by it and it really motivates me, me to too. try and, and do mm. more you know to help all all these poor music all these poor classroom teachers who are given no training whatsoever and told you have to teach music off you go sort of thing um we could be doing a lot more to help them um and that's something I'm, i've been really pushing for and, and and a great thing to come out of all this is uh i'm now being influential with the department for education and with ofsted um i've got the department for education uh 
lots of people from there coming to visit me next week to see how I do things. Um, you and I are going to do an exchange sometime as well. I really want to come and see yeah. you. That'd be great, yeah. Um, um, goes to anyone. Any, anyone's welcome at Feversham to come and see yeah. how we do and, things. And you should, you should come and see Liberty Woodland School. I think you'll, um, you'll really like it there as well. My school. I'd love to, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where are you um, based? Uh, South London. Uh, South London. Yeah. I will. Yeah, I'm in in London a fair bit in the future, so I will definitely <laughs> come say hello. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll yeah I'll tell my I'll tell my bosses you know who you are, and I'm sure they'd love having you as a as a guest. Um, right. Well, um, Jimmy, just before we go, Anna Rustach says hi. Um, oh, hi, Anna. <laughs> yeah, she 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 messaged me so on Twitter. Say hi to Jimmy for me. I'm gonna have her as a guest on the show sometime as well because she's also a music teacher legend. Um, I, yeah, I, we, we speak got, a lot, myself and Anna. We we talk a lot about things. So yeah, yeah. I went to see I went to see her teacher like summer tw- June 2019, and yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. If, um, now, of course, she's left Downs Junior and gone to Leeds. Yeah. Well, um, Jimmy, thank you so much for um, being a guest on my show. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope people enjoyed it. Yeah, brilliant. All right, we're going to take a little ad break and then I'm going to talk a bit about uh, plastic use in schools and how we can reduce that. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Okay then, so um, I wanted to talk now a bit about plastic and um, what we can um, do as schools to reduce the amount of single-use plastic that we use. And this, I wanted to talk about this today as it brought on... um, it was brought on by the fact that I ordered some instruments for my uh, our early years um, in my uh, well our, our nurseries that are attached to my school, and there was an outrageous amount of plastic that um, was there is an outrageous amount of plastic that happens <coughs> to be that that this that these instruments came in so there was a travel bag and then inside the travel bag was one giant plastic bag and then there was um each in- individual instrument 
was individually wrapped in its own plastic bag at the same time. So you had an egg shaker wrapped in its own plastic bag contained in another big plastic bag. And it was ridiculous. And so I actually complained. I got them from TTS and I actually complained to TTS about that because that was, um, yeah, that was not cool. And so I wanted to um, just, I wanted to talk about some of the things that I've seen and some of the things that we can do. Um, I've got an example of a previous school I was at where sometimes for lunch, um, their dessert would be, um, would be yogurt and they would come in these individual plastic pots, but this was hard, easily recyclable plastic, but all of them would just be chucked in the bin. And I found that absolutely outrageous because, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. Um, so I made a point of taking these parts to the plastic recycling bin in the staff room because I couldn't stand to see all of that going into the waste bins and sitting there for hundreds of thousands of years, not decomposing and um, being more, you know, ocean plastic or, or more wherever waste plastic, uh, wherever this waste plastic would go. Um, I couldn't bear to see that. Now, the problem that we have is just because plastic is just because plastic is put in the recycling bin doesn't always mean that it's going to go into that it's actually going to get recycled um so really although we can although we can make the effort to do our part in terms of recycling ultimately we should be aiming to use as little single-use plastic or as little materials that are not decomposable, not compostable as possible. Because the otherwise, you don't know that the, the materials they might be contaminated in some way or they might end up in some kind of landfill or some kind of um place where they shouldn't be going and that's a real shame so what i what can be done well what we do in our school is um we have recycling bins across all of our class dens and in the staff room and everything else. And we have, we actually have a full-time environmentalism specialist teacher. So probably maybe the only person in the, in the country, possibly even the world 
I've not heard of any other person with that job as being a primary school environmentalism teacher where her job is purely to teach environmentalism. But that is that is what my school are doing. And we're hoping we want our children to be to be those that look after the environment, to be those that make conscious choices to be eco-friendly and to make conscious choices to to make sure that um to make sure that we are doing everything we can to look after our planet um and i think what can sometimes happen with awards like eco schools and things what can sometimes happen is that there can be a little bit of um a tick box exercise um and being environmentally friendly is not just about ticking boxes there's always things we can improve and if you're gonna get an award then that shouldn't mean that you do the bare minimum to get an award like you get the eco schools award and but then you don't really carry it on after you've gotten the award it's got to be an ongoing thing and school <coughs> schools really have to look at the environmental impact a lot of their choices are having um because otherwise that's kind of hypocrisy if you know you're saying we're an eco-friendly school um but then no actual action is taking place it's just you've ticked these boxes therefore you've got a status on your website and that's what that's what i want people to change like in my school we don't have eco school status we are working towards it but we are already doing a lot just due to the nature of my school um but we are very environmentally conscious um and another thing that brought this to my mind is sort of the medical plastic waste that's been going on recently because with covid and everything um that is you're required to when you take a covid test you're required to put bits in biohazard bags um that's soft plastic that's really hard to recycle you're required to put so much um so much hard and soft plastic but a lot of it's impossible to recycle it can be impossible to recycle and also single use masks as well i mean i'm not going to i'm this isn't about me saying that we shouldn't be testing for covid this isn't me saying we shouldn't be wearing masks however there's got to be a better way of especially with medical plastic waste there's got to be a better way than just making plastic that's going to take thousands of years to de uh, thousands years and more to decompose and it's just going to clog up the oceans or clog up 
um uh, you know other countries where we're sent where western countries are sending their recycled plastic um so as much as possible things have got to be reusable and i guess the things that you do at home have got to be um that that you might do at home have got to be similar to things you might do in school so for example always using never using single use plastic cups or single use bottles because that's one of the main offenders so if every child had a reusable permanent water bottle and if every child and and if rather than using plastic cups for a water machine everyone you had reusable cups that you can wash then that would just be that would be a first step that would make a big difference um and bearing in mind as well where how recyclable are your station is your stationery so for example i know that glue sticks are an example of a uh, something that is very hard to recycle and so are whiteboard pens that are that that have that are gone that are dead what those are those are two examples of things that are incredibly hard to recycle and as much as possible and i know we're going to be writing to various companies and we should uh, uh our kids are perhaps going to be taking part in a bit of activism in this sense but um we've got to we've got to consider all of these things and i know that and i i, I know i know the story of how you know, there's a hundred companies in the world that are responsible for the vast majority of emissions. And of course that's got to be done, but that's not really in schools remit. Um, they can write to them, they can take part in activism, but everybody, in my opinion, should be making at least some effort to reduce the environmental impact that their school has on 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 well the environmental impact that their school has so a few things that my school do well we um we always we never use any single-use cups single-use cutlery um any of that so our food and our food waste always um goes into a separate food waste bin so we have our recycling we have our general waste and we have our food waste so we've got that going we've also got um the way in the way in which we work because so much of our school uh so much of what the kids do and so much of what we do takes place outdoors and so we've got that to uh excuse me 
we've got that that we're doing um and i think for seeing what we've achieved um and that we're already in on the way to being an eco school i think um i think everybody can at least make do something to to reduce their environmental impact so a lot of our food for example is very healthy and um most of our lunches are vegetarian um and then reduce you know reducing um yeah litter and making sure that things are separated out in stuff that is recyclable um where we have energy and power how we um how we use greener energy sources and how we look after the biodiversity in our schools now i know in urban areas that might be tricky however um if you've got if you've got areas where you can build bug hotels for example or look after or look after animals in some way uh plant bee friendly flowers around your school site um those are those are just a few things that you can that that lots of schools can do to um to help to help the environment um we i know that we've got um we've we because our because our site is all outdoors we've got quite a lot of biodiversity around and i think that people could um even if you've got urban areas even if your school is in an urban area i think it would be worth looking into and seeing what you could do in an urban area because there are some plants that you can put indoors that will help clean the air up or you can you know plant things on buildings that's another thing especially in urban areas that people need to people need to consider the impact they have clean air because if especially if you're if you're from london like me in the most built-up areas the air isn't very clean at all and that can have a huge impact on people's breathing especially if you have asthma like me um it can have and for the kids as well it can have a big impact on their mental health and i think people underestimate that so built buying taking care of air cleaning plants that's a simple thing that lots of people could do that would really help with with taking care of your children yourselves and your and your general and and everyone's general health because clean air isn't just improving physical health it's improving mental health as well 
and that's well both of those things are extremely important in um in modern day life you know mental health lots more people are talking about having positive mental health and that's that's a really good thing and being environmentally conscious being eco-friendly and reducing it will also do wonders for your mental health as well as you know physical health overall you know so research shows that you know just 20 minutes a day uh, just 20 minutes of walking through a park or spending just time in nature and trees just 20 minute walk a day can have a really positive impact on your mental health overall and therefore consequently your physical health because both are connected and so we have to we have to do whatever we can to make sure that we've got these opportunities and for our kids as well, if we're in a particularly urban area, I it's an incredibly tricky thing to do, but it's very much worth finding ways of spending time in nature, going for going for nature walks wherever you can, um, and taking care taking care of the environment. It just however however you can. That's um, it's so it's it's so important um and it's not worth as i said at the beginning of this segment it's not worth you doing eco schools it's not worth you getting an award if the action's just going to stop after you've got the award you have to keep going with it um only then will we will our schools be much more um well environmentally conscious and then we'll be teaching our children to look after the planet look after the environment and that will have a positive impact on on everybody because especially as adults and a lot of our generation we um perhaps we weren't aware of some of the impacts that our actions were having in the past but then we as as news and scientific research and things became more prevalent and more talks about in the news and then we've become more aware and what's happened is sort of older generations because they didn't know better older generations have put a big problem onto younger generations and it's it's you know there's no individual i'm not placing any individual blame but um yeah there's every every little difference makes every every little difference that you can make collectively will will be will will result in in a 
a big change. It's like I remember a TV advert and it and the the about sort of saving energy and the the end of it was what difference can one person make and then it showed about a hundred different people saying what difference can one person make and then um the impacts that though that that those a hundred people who didn't make a difference was was happening this was about saving energy so hopefully I'm I'm hoping to see more schools soon taking environmental action um, and doing what they can. You know, we're probably the only school in the country, possibly the world, that has an environmentalism specialist teacher. I'm not expecting all schools to do that. However, <coughs> if we could get someone who's in charge of being eco-friendly and the environment in every school, then and that it's not just a tick box exercise that actual actions taken and you follow through with your pledges then we're going to see much happier much more much more um much happier and much more conscious schools that will take responsibility for things okay i'm going to uh, i'm going to take a news and ad break and then time for some more songs This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a Unison press release issued on their website, union leaders celebrate the inclusion of all education staff in the new Department for Education Wellbeing Charter. The relaunched charter issued this week now includes support staff, following union pressure for it to be more inclusive. Previous incarnations of the Charter focused entirely on teachers and school leaders, but left out almost 50% of school staff, including teaching assistants, caretakers and catering staff. Unison recognised the move to include all union staff as a positive one, and Lee Powell, Unison's National Officer for Schools, said we look forward to working with schools and colleges to promote the mental well-being of all staff. In Scotland, plans to help reduce teacher workload by reducing teachers' weekly class contact time by 90 minutes have been described as challenging by Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Anne Somerville. Ms Somerville said in a report on the TES website that she can't give a definite timescale, although she promised that it would still happen. The plan to reduce contact time by an hour and a half a week was one of the most eye-catching promises made in the SNP manifesto for parliamentary elections in May. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, contact time is disproportionately high in Scotland and is a major cause for concern for teachers and school leaders. Workload increases caused by a range of factors associated with the pandemic are also featured in a piece on the TES website. An article by James O'Malley highlights the issues schools face in recruiting supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The article cites Department for Education data for early November, which showed that 2.1% of teachers and school leaders were absent for COVID-related reasons. The article also highlights that with winter approaching, other seasonal illnesses are also causing absence. Schools are increasingly finding the usual pool of supply teachers is not as deep as it once was, 
and that the cost of supply is not something schools can now easily afford. Solutions which many schools are having to put in place to manage staffing shortages include combining classes, having senior leaders take lessons and drawing up plans that could see entire year groups being sent home in an emergency situation. Undoubtedly the situation is challenging and is yet another contributing factor in the increasing stresses and pressures faced by school leaders and those working in schools. Finally, Lincolnshire Live reports that in a bid to promote well-being, the University of Lincoln held a dog de-stress event on Wednesday. The event was organised by Lucy Robertson, a third-year medical student for the Medical Society. And the feedback included comments that the therapy of petting dogs seems to have worked. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. All right then, song time. Um, so today um, I've got a few. Now I'm not sure. There's there's one that I can't remember if I've done on a pre if I've done on a previous show but it's sing up's recommendation for anti-bullying week anyway i'm not going to start with that um i'm going to start with actually a, um one of my favorite warm-ups that i haven't done for a very long time um it's called uh jumping for joy i just reintroduced it to uh, my kids this week um never done it with them bef- them before i've done it with previous stores but I can't believe it's taken me this long to get um, through it. It's called, uh, so as I said, it's called Jumping for Joy and it's by Helen Wright. It's a very cheesy song, but I love it. Everybody jump, clap, shake your fingers, jump, clap, shake your fingers, jump, clap, shake your fingers, everybody jump for joy. Shake your fingers, dance, clap, shake. 
laugh. Shake your fingers, everybody jump for joy. So yeah, that's um, that's one of my favourite warm ups to do um, during, uh, especially for um, younger kids. It's a good one to uh, just get everyone moving and uh, get everyone in a good mood and stuff like that. Um, okay, so I'm now going to play to you. Yeah, I'm going to play this one next. So this one is great one for. Um, this one's great for for special needs and early years as well. Um, it's called Dr. Knickerbocker. It's a traditional song and it's more um, and yeah, it's a traditional counting song. Um, and uh, this is the um, this is the version that I uh, that I play and use with um, with my kids. Um, Doctor Knickerbocker, Knickerbocker number nine. He likes to dance and he keeps in time. Now let's get the rhythm of the feet. Then you stamp your feet. Yes, I've got the rhythm of the feet. Stamp, stamp. Now let's get the rhythm of the number nine. A one, a two. A three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Doctor, nigger, bugger, nigger, bugger, number nine. He likes to dance and he keeps in time. Now let's get the rhythm of the hands. Yes, he's got the rhythm of the hands. Now let's get the rhythm of the feet. Stamp, stamp. Yes, we've got the rhythm of the feet. Stamp, stamp. Now let's get the rhythm of the number nine. A one, a two, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Doctor, knickerbocker, knickerbocker, number nine. He likes to dance and he keeps in time. Now let's get the rhythm of the head. Then you nod your heads twice if we've got the rhythm of the head. Yes, we've got the rhythm of the hands. Yeah, we've got the rhythm of the hands. Now let's get the rhythm of the feet. Stamp, stamp. Now we've got the rhythm of the feet. Now let's get the rhythm of the number nine. A one, a two, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Doctor, knickerbocker, knickerbocker, number nine. Likes to dance and he keeps in time. Now let's get the rhythm of the hips. Now you shake your hips. Now we've got the rhythm of the hips. Yes, we've got the rhythm of the head. Now we've got the rhythm of the head. Now we've got the rhythm of the hands. Yes, we've got the rhythm of the hands. Now let's get the rhythm of the feet. Yes, we've got the rhythm of the feet. Now let's get the rhythm of the number nine. A one, a two, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you can just keep going and adding actions on top of that each time. Um, uh, well, one that most people do is let's get the rhythm of the lips and then blow kisses twice. But that might be a bit embarrassing for some kids, but, you know, it's all in good fun. 
Right. Now, um, I wanted today, um, I wanted to play this one. This is called The Orange Song. Now, I'm not sure if I, I can't remember if I did this last week, um, but it's, it's a song that's a little bit about bullying in a sort of very quirky way. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a good fun song and you can sort of add your own little play and drama and add some actions to it and all that. Um, I'm going to play this one on the guitar. Um, and if you're a beginner guitar or ukulele player, you can literally play this on one chord C7. So if you get, if you get that, um, then In an orange house on an orange street Lived a little round orange who was kind of sweet But there were two bad apples on the loose Gonna turn that orange into orange juice Little orange roll, and he rolled again to the orange hills, to the orange gray. But a big fat mango in a Macintosh said he turned little orange into orange squash. Oh, 
So that song can literally be done with one chord. Um, and um, what you can do with it is you can kind of make it a call and response. So you can um, you can have it. So uh, the first first line is in an orange house on an orange street. You can get a leader and then you can get the rest to copy the leader. So in an orange house in an orange street, in an orange house on an orange street, lived a little round orange who was kind of sweet, lived a little round orange who was kind of sweet, etc. So that's um, so that's the uh, that one's the orange song. It's good fun that one, um, and yeah. Uh, it was it was Sing Up's uh, target song for anti-bullying week, which is uh, interesting. But I guess you know the other fruits of bullying uh, the orange. So, um, and uh, credit to the uh, guy who wrote that song, Ben Glassstone. Um, thank you for that. Right then, um, I'm gonna uh, do. Let's see. Yeah, actually, while while I've got while I've got my guitar out, I wanted to uh, introduce to you a uh, Christmas song that's perhaps a bit more obscure because what I often find with Christmas songs is you get the same ones over and over again, um, and so I wanted to um, I wanted to I wanted to play you this one and sing this one it's called reggie the christmas hamster and it's by parry grip parry grip's quite famous for making a lot of internet songs and memes and things um but i introduced this to my kids this week and we had a lot of fun with it ring ring hello yo reggie it's bill the elf from the north pole hey phil what's up it's an emergency. Santa broke his sleigh. You've got to deliver all the presents or Christmas will be a disaster. Uh-oh. He's Reggie the Christmas hamster. Saving Christmas Day. Delivering the toys to the boys and girls. The Santa broke his sleigh. Yeah, you're doing it, Reggie. Go. It's a Christmas miracle! But Reggie, where'd you keep all those toys? In your cheeks! Awesome! He's Reggie the Christmas hamster Saving Christmas Day Delivering toys to the boys and girls Cause Santa broke his leg He's Reggie the Christmas From Phil the Elf and Reggie the Christmas Hamster. Yeah, that one's great fun. It's um, it's like um, the original track has got a lot of rock guitars and things. So um, yeah, um, literally the day after I introduced it to them, some of my younger kids made drawings of Reggie the Christmas Hamster. So 
yeah that was a lot of fun right um now when it comes to musicals <clears throat> there's several songs that are good for um well obviously in secondary school you can do quite a lot with musicals however it's certainly possible to do justice to a musical a a, a, a famous musical in primary school and one of the most fun to do is uh bugsy malone in my opinion because you can get silly string you can get pies uh you can and everyone gets messy and it's a lot of fun it's also got some great songs so um i have taught my kids bad guys from not bad guy the recent hit but bad guys from bugsy malone whenever people mention bad guy i keep thinking of the bugsy malone song bad guys but i wanted to i wanted to play that to you in case in case you haven't heard it i'm sure all of you have So that one, as well as being part of Bugsy Malone. Oh, hi, Vicky. Vicky uh, is my auntie. Um, so lovely. Good. Thank you. Thanks for coming and listening. Um, cool. So that was uh, Bad Guys from Bugsy Malone. Um, now, how much time do I have? Got? Yeah, I might. I might have time for all of these, I think. Um, let's do let's do this one. So em- um, Emily Barden, um, I-, I mentioned her a lot. She's written loads of great songs for primary schools. Um, and 
Sing Up have uh, this day called Sing Up Day every year, and this was uh, the 2016 Sing Up Day song, I think, uh, called One and a Million. Um, and it's probably, I, uh, I and many people agree, the best of the Sing Up Day songs. So I wanted to play it to you and uh, sing it to you. Hopefully I'll get this right. It's been a while since I've played this. I am a seed in a meadow. I am a leaf on a tree. I am a rock in a mountain. I am them and they are me. Of the sunshine, we are the waves of the sea. We are a one and a million together, stronger than just me. Ah, united, we are strong. Um, Um, there we go. I am a note in an anthem. You are them, and so am I. We are the waves of the sunshine. We are the waves of the sea. We are a one and a million together, stronger than just me. Sorry, I know I slightly messed that up, um, but sorry, Emily, if you ever listen to this. Right, got time for one more, a um, little bit of a traditional one and a good laugh um, to get uh, and good one to get your kids acting this out. So <clears throat> there was an old woman who swallowed a fly. 
I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. There was an old woman who swallowed a spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. There was an old woman who swallowed a bird. How absurd to swallow a bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. But I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. There was an old woman who swallowed a cat. Imagine that she swallowed a cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. There was an old woman who swallowed a dog. What a hog to swallow a dog. She swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Um, right, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm running out of time now, so I'm going to finish it there. Um, although... The way you finish that song normally is quite tough. Like the uh, the last verse is like verse eight. Is that there was an old woman who swallowed a horse? She's dead, of course, um, and it just stops there. So yeah, if you're a listener and you're a music teacher, let me know how you end that song because I'd be interested to know. Okay, well I'm gonna have to finish my show there. Um, so thank you very much to everyone who listened live. And if you downloaded it, there, if you downloaded the episode, then thank you for downloading and listening. Thank you very much to Jimmy, my uh, guest for the day. Um, and I will see you all next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.